Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing <laughs> discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got you can get it ground you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own they've got all of the options uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time I don't remember exactly what it is but I think they express post everything so hopefully quickly perfect amazing well, and that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Presented Enjoy. by Thomas Lilly and John Sarah and Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Recording. We're back. John's back. We are back. Um, I am. I am. Hello. Thank you for having me. I apologize for my absence last week. I haven't actually listened to the episode yet, but I'm sure Sam did my seat justice. Yes, he made a suitable replacement. Excellent. Suitable, not excessive, which is good. You know. I'm pretty sure this is episode 99, which means next is it episode. really? Yeah. Yeah. Sam was saying last time that the one we did was episode 98. So we're up to 99, which means uh, we need to think something to do for 100 because we're not all going to be together like we planned because of, uh, because of COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Are you going to come down for Canberra Cup in December? Uh, when is it? Thirteenth? First? No, nah, first weekend. First sixth. Yeah. No, I can't. I've got a. I'm running a comp on the fifth. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. Disappointing. Anyway, uh, yes, we're not all going to be together. We maybe we should just do a three-way Zoom session of some description. I don't know. Yeah, we'll work something out. We're very good about talking about having these plans and then never actually doing anything about it. <laughs> it crept up on us. Yeah, it did. It really did. I had no concept of where we are in terms of episode numbers because I have no involvement in the numbering of the episodes. I just record them and then let Sam deal with all that. Well, shit. that's right. We rely on <laughs> external authority. Oh, wow. That was almost as good as some of your more recent coffee segues. Oh, Sam dropped a coffee segue in the episode. You can enjoy that. Excellent. I'm glad. I'm Speaking glad of coffee. keeping it up. Speaking of coffee, that's a really <laughs> shitty coffee segue. Yeah, no. Drop the ball. Sam took but the thunder. 
Yeah, well, he's he's interrupted your flow. I think that's the real problem. That's but right. you know what's really good for improving your flow is <laughs> caffeine. psychotropic drugs like caffeine, which is best delivered in a delicious and flavorful format, aka Prism Coffee. Uh, yeah, I got their delivery arrived at my house this this morning, yesterday, something like that. Yeah, mine was Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to cracking into not the bag of taxi. It was another bag of something, uh, but it's not Rakira. It's like some other name that I should have a better handle on. Whoopity whoppity or something. It starts with a W, the green one. No, not, not uh, whoosh whoosh. No, no there's another one. W one. Is there? Yeah. It just turns up and I just drink it. Pretty much. Um, hold on. I'm going to open their website, which is prismcoffee.com.au. Yes. And I hear uh, that if you type in peak speak as a discount code, you get 10% off. Amazing. You do indeed. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, Ruth Aka. It's a, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a Kenyan, a washed processed coffee. It's a fruity, lightly washed process, uh, washed processed coffee, smooth, exuberant and fruity coffee with notes of caramel, jasmine and a rich complex complexity. Yeah, I'll be honest. I can tell that some coffees are different, but ultimately, it's oh, man, different I, variations of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I I find um the pour over like filter coffee is it's much more noticeable when it's like that because uh-huh. you get a, especially with a coffee like this, which they've said works well both as espresso and filter, um, and will work with milk. But uh, yeah, it, it's especially noticeable the subtleties in the flavor of it. Yeah. Um, I think just cause you're drinking just the coffee, you're not sort of hiding it a little bit with the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm by no means, uh, a coffee cupping expert, which is the technical term for someone who tastes coffee. Okay. And there you go. yeah, it's, yeah, you do it, you do a cupping where they get a whole bunch of different coffees and yeah. Anyway, uh, I, my palate is not that refined. <laughs> Years of trashing it, I think, with a variety of terrible nutritional choices is probably not helped that. <laughs> I'm a guzzler too. I, my, my coffee doesn't last for more than like 30 seconds. Yeah, that's what I like about uh, like a black coffee is I can sit on it for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, whereas like a milky coffee, as soon as it gets cold, I don't want to drink it. So I'm just hammering it pretty quickly. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. What are we talking about? Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about, uh, the, the sort of role of technology in helping you make training decisions and sort of start the discussion there and then lead on, uh, with that. The, did you ever watch Ali G? Did I ever watch Ali G? <laughs> so tell me about technology. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, God. Anyway. Yeah. Fucking absolute classic. Showing our the scene that always sticks with with me is the when he sends a text message about linking up the batteries, and he has to explain all of his his like, like dropped all the vowels and shortened it. B eighteries. <laughs> I was trying to save time. Uh, anyway, <laughs> fuck, such a classic. Uh, I'm looking forward to the second Borat movie as well. Uh, I haven't watched that yet, but it's just it's so cringy that it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, anyway, anyway. <laughs> uh, that was the nice little aside. Uh, yeah. So I have, uh, recently signed up for a whoop membership. Whoop is, a um, a fitness wearable, I think is the technical 
uh, category that they would fit into. Uh, it's like a little strap that I can show you that sits in my wrist like this uh, that uses the uh, sort of optic technology that like an Apple Watch and stuff like that does to track heart rate and sleep and all of those sort of things. Uh, I know Jordan Shallow spent a bit of time working with Whoop um, and a few other people in the fitness industry that I've uh, followed for a while have, have toyed with it. Um, I mostly got it cause I wanted to do something to track, uh, heart rate for bike riding stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got sick of wearing a chest strap, which is ultimately, I believe the gold standard in terms of commercially available equipment for measuring heart rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have something about the shape of my rib cage and how fat I am means that if I sit in certain positions on my bike, my heart rate strap actually doesn't touch my chest. And so it doesn't get contact. And so sometimes I would um, do like 45 minutes of riding and only get six minutes of heart rate data, yeah. uh, which is just a pain in the ass and having to take it on and off all the time was also a pain in the ass. So uh, yeah, I wanted something that I could not have to take off. So I just wear this band all the time. Um, it's relatively low profile and, and uh, is pretty simple uh, and would track sleep and stuff like that. Uh, but also it wasn't a watch cause I don't really wear a watch. Um, and so, yeah, I have found it interesting to, to get the data. Um, I know a few people who have used things like this in, in various forms, uh, looking at like heart rate variability as a measurement of recovery and things like that. I think it's really interesting. Um, I'm unconvinced that it's going to actually, uh, be in a position to, force me to change anything about my training but i think that's where the discussion is quite interesting in how you use it the same thing can be said for things like uh bar velocity tracking for sure uh things like that and i think yeah that's the sort of discussion that i wanted to have today and yeah, see where yeah. That goes. yeah i mean like that that is where the heart of the discussion is it's like yeah fair enough let's collect all this data what yeah. what do we do with it and how yeah. do you use it and, and what value does it have? And that's where you can turn something from uh, really positive to potentially negative uh, yeah. or, or really um, from a mental perspective, positively reinforcing to negatively reinforcing. Uh, my, my perspective is going to be uh, on the very much, uh, I don't want to say anti-technology side of things, but uh, it's not something that I'm very familiar with. So me being able to empathize and talk to the uh, use of technology uh, with a great deal of value for training, I can't speak to from personal experience or from coaching experience to a a great degree. Now, that's not to say that I don't think there is value in it. Yeah. Um, I guess I just haven't found a, a place in my system yet where I can justify it. So. Basically, my question always is, is that once we have the data, once we know the data, does it change the practice on the end Mm -hmm. uh, from my perspective, including when it comes to nutrition coaching as well? So me knowing this person's resting heart rate, is that of some value? I would say yes. Uh, I would say there is some value as a a trackable metric, Um, but ultimately it's a byproduct of what we end up doing rather than something that we are chasing. Right. Yeah. Drives decision-making or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. If the person's goal was directly attached to some form of metric, then I would, I would encourage them to be tracking that metric yeah. uh, because I don't work in that space very often or, or if at all, um, it's not something that I've used very much in my practice. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, my, my, 
my concern with it for, for a lot of people is becoming a slave to the numbers. And we've spoken about this before, and I'm sure we're going to open the door to it right now as well. Um, so what's, what's that book you uh, refer to? You've referred to uh, it Yeah, uh, Unplugged. Uh, so it's written by uh, Brian McKenzie uh, of Power Speed Endurance. Uh, used to be CrossFit Endurance, I think. He's like one of Kelly Stratt's mates and kind of of that same yeah. uh, era, if you will. Uh, and it's him and Dr. Andy Galpin, who's an uh, exercise physiology doctor, I believe, does a lot of research in the really applied end of science uh, mm. and like works with like MMA fighters and a lot of like really high caliber athletes as opposed to some of the research in the fitness exercise space, which generally gets done on you know, college students and mm. untrained populations and stuff. So he has a lot of really interesting information. If, if you're at all interested in the science and following Andy Galpin on, um, on like Instagram and stuff is really yeah, cool. He's, he's got genius. some, yeah, fucking oath, man. And, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a book that they wrote about wearables and, and fitness technologies and stuff like that. I read it a, a few years ago when it came out and it was a really interesting book cause they, said something very similar to you, right? That uh, the sort of premise of the book was that these technologies can be really useful, but the problem that we have is that a lot of people have made their technology the master instead of the mm-hmm. tool. Um, and I think that understanding that that is the sort of propensity that you'll have is to, to make that stuff into a master is really uh where the crux of the issue lies because if you can avoid that that can be very very powerful um i've had a little bit more experience than you have uh in terms of using it personally so i've done a couple of different stints tracking bar velocity uh the Mm. first one i did using a push band which was like a uh, a band that went around your bicep that you wore while you were lifting and it measured bar velocity like that uh, I've played around with a gym aware. So like, uh, attaching a string to the bar and using it that way, which is the, my understanding is that's the gold standard for measuring bar velocities. You're actually measuring how fast that bit of string gets pulled. Mm-hmm. Uh, those units are prohibitively expensive for an individual and are almost exclusively used in a, uh, uh, like a professional S and C setting. Mm-hmm. Which I think for a bar velocity, my conclusion is sort of that's where the real value is. Like is when you're in, actually training for speed. Yeah, but also when you're training like a big group of people, right? Like if you've got a gym with 35 rugby players in it, it's somewhat hard to manage, especially because S&C staff, especially in Australia, it's not like they have an eight-person S&C team. Maybe they've got two guys, tops, mm. and they're like a, a shitty free, free intern or whatever. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in the technology there because you can use that technology to uh, give people prescriptions for work in terms of the effort they need to be putting in without needing to minutely track every weight on the bar. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's an argument for making it into a bit of a competition as well in that environment, like having the, the speed as a measure of that. Mm-hmm. In any team environment, having some measurable quantity that you can use to drive internal competition is really useful, mm-hmm. I think. Um, 
but the yeah the the physical string attachment uh, units so whether it's a gym aware or a tendo are generally like a couple of thousand dollars per unit mm-hmm. um so they're they're quite expensive uh gym aware recently brought out one called a fuck i've just totally forgotten the name of flex um which was their uh like consumer model i, I guess it rather than using um a string used light yes uh so it had like little uh, a little attachment that uh you sort of plugged onto mm. the end of the bar it's got a little laser show and you put it yeah basically it. yeah exactly so uh i was fortunate to uh be one of the like beta testers for that um gym aware is a canberra based brand um and i know people who know people uh, basically and they wanted someone to test it we broke like four of them yeah. uh in the in the testing process because they um we think right yeah we worked it out that it was deadlifting with steel plates Mm. uh so they'd done heaps and heaps of testing with like dropping from overhead for like snatches and jerks and stuff like that but they hadn't done a lot of very heavy deadlifting with steel plates where you don't get any of the force absorption in the in the plate itself and so we think that it was that uh, like a real shock on the end of the bar that's like it literally just clean snapped a whole bunch of them in half like I, I think it was i broke two and aj broke two i think uh and they kept coming out and were like what the fuck guys uh but fortunately like that's what beta testing is about yeah is for sure things um so yeah and i think with all of my experiments with measuring velocity it's been a really interesting experiment but has never been useful enough for me to convince me that it's worth investing my time and money into on a regular basis. Mm. Certainly not from a coaching standpoint uh, because I want to keep my coaching as simple as possible. Like I want to say the least amount possible. I want to give the least amount of uh, external information and cueing and stuff to get the results that we're looking for because it makes it just easier to follow, right? Like mm-hmm. I've been guilty of with cueing and things like that in the past, just overcomplicating the discussion to a point where you create this sort of almost neurotic cycle of overanalyzing and overthinking things. Yeah. And I think f- as I improve and as I mature as a coach, I'm getting better at describing things as simply as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that speaks to a, an improvement in my understanding of things because I don't need for it to be complex in discussion. Yes. I can just have a simple discussion about a complex topic. Uh, but for me, it was, yeah, it was fun to see, like, it's interesting to see what those numbers are and to, and to yeah. get an idea about it. Um, but it was never convincing enough for me to like, use it as a prescriptive tool where mm. instead of saying like, here's the percentage or here's the RPA, which are the sort of the two guiding lights that I use when it comes to weight selection, mm-hmm. uh, I would be using velocity at all. I just don't think it's, uh, useful enough yeah. from my standpoint. Yeah. I, and again, I, I, I can only come from like a logical analytical perspective without having the, without having the experience of actually playing around with these tools very much in my own training or in, in the training of others. 
Um, but, you know, one big part of my philosophy is that, you know, speed, the way the bar moves is largely going to be a byproduct and an output of position yeah. of, of technicality and um, that the pursuit of speed works directly against good position. A lot of the time when you're trying to move the bar quicker, you're going to revert to your strongest movement pattern. And if there's issues with that movement pattern, you're going to foster those into your technique, right? Your technique's going to be the average of what you do in training. So if you're, if you're training metric creates this cognitive bias of, I need to move faster because I'm, I, I dare say that a lot of people that use these tools don't actually chase just getting the thing yeah. to move faster, right? That's, that's not the goal, but I question yeah. whether having that metric there creates a, uh, an emotional attachment to those numbers where it then starts to become the pursuit of those things. Like yeah. if you, if you know your speed is being measured, are you then going to start to try and move the bar faster subconsciously to be like, I am improving rather than yeah. actually taking a step back and looking at the objective measures of improvement, which are going to be, you know, technique and the weight on the bar. And yes, yeah. the speed is an objective measure. That's the whole point but can you turn it into something that becomes subjective because of your emotional attachment to it? That's where I get fearful of it because there's already enough of that happening in yeah. the training paradigm as it stands. Yeah, man. Um, Mike Tashira has been measuring bar velocity for like 700 years. Yeah. Like there's there's uh, stories of him like in the mid 2000s turning up to a gym. Like it was Steve Pulsinella, uh, Iron Sport. Like, yeah, he, like, he didn't, know, yeah, didn't know who Tashira <laughs> was and watched him like set up his laptop and like several <laughs> other pieces of equipment. Uh, so yeah, he, I know he's been doing it for a long time. I mm. don't know him well enough and his training philosophy is well enough to know whether he uses it as a prescriptive tool. But I think he's the sort of person, a great example of the sort of person that it's really powerful for because he is, and you can tell if you at all follow RTS and the stuff that he does, the guy's like a data nerd uh -huh. and super objective about it. Like, yeah, or at least from from an external view, he looks like the sort of guy that would just thrive as, yes, this is just another data point. I'm not uh, changing the intent behind any of the reps I'm doing or anything like that to pursue that increase in speed. Because having played around with it, it's really fucking easy to do that, to just be like, all right. And we've, we played because we played with it. It was like, all right, who can squat this weight the fastest? Yeah. And it's not like, hey, how good can you do the squat? It's like, how fast can you move it? And that doesn't always equal good position. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that's certainly the, the point where it becomes dangerous for sure. Yeah. And I think a, a really big difference that's worth highlighting with someone like Mike T is that a, he's been doing it for like 15, 20 years, like yeah. you said. Uh, and B when you're at that sort of elite level, like he's been an elite powerlifter for a very long time, his rate of yeah. progress is extremely slow. So yeah you know, he's going to be doing much the same weights in various phases of training pretty much all the time. It's not like yeah. one day he's doing 280 for sixes and then six months later he's doing 320 for sixes. You know, yeah. six months later it's probably still going to be around the 280 mark or something yeah. like that. Um, and so, you know, having that, uh, I guess that 
extra objective measure to be like, okay, basically it's taking the perception out of RPE, right? It's just yes. measuring the rate of exertion. He can, he can categorically say, okay, well, I know I'm not emotionally attached to the speed, but the metrics are telling me I need a deload because yeah. everything is slowed down. And he's, I, I'm making the assumption here, but he's probably backing at that up with, oh, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. And there's yeah. probably other metrics coming into that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just like any of these uh, technological advancements when it comes to these measurements as soon as we start to uh like you say create them as an external authority yeah uh, we can go backwards i'm i'm guilty of this with my cpap i'm guilty of waking up and looking at the you know the hours of sleep the events per hour that i've had on my cpap and being like i feel like shit now because yeah, because yeah. the numbers yeah. and rather than getting up and being like what do i feel like yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the that's been interesting with the Whoop band. Um, so it measures uh, heart rate, and it's like a twenty four seven measurement, right? So you have mm-hmm. like a full day of heart rate data. Um, uh, interestingly, I've like uh, while riding my bike, looked at the heart rate data of the time I ate shit, and you can see the like spike in the <laughs> heart rate data where I hit the dirt. Um, so that's, that's just interesting to look at, but, um, so it gives you a reading in the morning, like it tracks number of uh, hours of sleep. I think it tracks your respiration rate and a few other things like that. It gives you a resting heart rate score, which is like a, you know, what was your lowest heart rate point over the course of the evening? Um, gives you a HRV value. So heart rate variability. Um, for those that don't know what heart rate variability is, it, uh, my understanding is your heart doesn't beat in a, um, in a symmetrical pattern. Uh, it is asymmetrical. And the more asymmetrical that pattern is, the theory is that it's a, uh, window into your nervous system state. And so the more sort of central fatigue that you're carrying, the lower the variance in that that number will be um the theory then is that a lower heart rate variability means you're less well recovered and potentially that can be a tool to help you make decisions around training loads and things like that Mm. uh again my understanding of the the downside of that is that it's a bit of a lagging indicator and that for the vast majority of people and certainly the vast majority of people talking listening to this podcast um it's far more likely to be lifestyle variables that manipulate your heart rate variability score than it is your training load. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so this, uh, we, the whoop app gives you like a recovery percentage each day. Um, and you know, there's been a few nights I, I hit 1% was my lowest recovery percentage. And that was on, <laughs> uh, like Monday morning. Cause we were camping and, we maybe had a few too many beers on the Sunday <laughs> night and like got very little sleep. And so I like, I woke up and was like, all right, I feel like shit. I didn't need to look at the score and be like, Oh no, I definitely feel like shit. Yeah. And interestingly for me, there's been days where it says I'm not very recovered, but actually mm-hmm. I feel really good. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't make decisions in training or in what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis based on that number. It's just interesting information for me. Um, I'm not like pursuing improving it necessarily. I'm just kind of living my life at the moment and seeing how it changes based on what I'm doing and how much sleep I get. And, you know, did I drink a beer with dinner last night? Did I not? Those sort of things where I can see a change. Um, at some point, if I'm going to pursue more seriously performance goals or something like that maybe i'd start to take a little bit more notice of it and and see how it relates to training load and things like that 
But at the moment, it's very much just a, a recovery score that's interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. And I think, like with the bar velocity thing, the the downside of all of these technologies is when they become your master, not just a tool in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really easy to do because it looks nice. You've got a nice app and you've got this number that you can measure. And I think the same the same can be said for RPE for using video evidence to sort of judge your RPE for all mm-hmm. of those things where you're relying on any source of information other than what you feel. Yep. Uh, and that becomes really dangerous. I know like the way I sort of judge my RPEs and the way I encourage people to do it in training is to finish a set, just take a moment and go, okay, what would I give that in, in an RPE rating? And then look at the video and use that video as either confirmation of your thoughts or like, well, it felt like an eight, but it was a six because yep. I'm a wuss, uh, which is often <laughs> what happens to me. Um, and that's where the technology is really useful, right? It's, uh-huh. it's not necessarily going to provide evidence that's completely in opposition to what you feel. It might be a little bit either way. You might get that, you know, plus or minus 10%. Uh, but ultimately it's just a tool to help you improve your understanding of how you feel and how you're responding to training and all of those sort of things, which are ultimately like, that's the skill that separates really very good lifters or athletes of any description and mediocre ones is uh-huh. the ability to tap into how they feel on any given day, how they are responding to training load, mm. to lifestyle factors and all of those things. Ultimately, you're the best measure of that. And when you submit all of your authority to some external technology, it's a skill that goes out of whack, right? Mm. Like you you lose the ability to, to know what it feels like. And that's where the uh, Brian and... Andy, we're talking about it in Unplugged is it sort of started with like heart rate, very, uh, sorry, heart rate uh, technologies and like uh, power output meters for cyclists where like a Tour de France cyclist just lives by their watt meter. They have a little bike computer and they have a plan for how they're doing it on the day and they just ride to that number. There's like, it's this, because it's such a measurable sport like that. Yes. Um, with something like powerlifting, it's a lot more subjective in terms of how things are moving because the technical component is so much, uh, has so much weight to it that if you just defaulted technology, you ignore this piece that's actually probably the biggest piece of the picture. Someone like a Tour de France cyclist just is in a perfect position 99.8% of the time anyway. Yeah. they are Not only are they on a bike that is built exactly to their measurements, but they spend more time sitting on their bike than they do fucking standing up. Hmm. Uh, so they're just, it's so deeply ingrained that that's not a thought. They can just, they can submit to that number and just follow the number. Mm-hmm. But for almost everyone else, and especially in the lifting realm, I think the technological tool is very, very useful, but as long as you've got a handle on the internal drivers and how you feel and, and movement quality and all of those factors that are actually way more important than yes. the meters per second rating you've got on your 65% deadlift warm up. <laughs> I feel like there's a, a lot to be said as well for um, the fact that we're hard, like think about what technology is and what we're hardwired to 
value when it comes to technology. Like we are hardwired to believe that the newest version of something <laughs> yeah. from a tech, technological standpoint is therefore the gold standard and is therefore there to make our like life easier, to remove subjectivity, to make it more objective, to do the job for us. Like that's what technology is for. And it's fucking fantastic. Like, where would we be without it? You know, what would life look like without it? And a lot of the advancements that we've had, not just in the world, but in the world of lifting have come yeah. from, you know, technological improvement. Yeah. But, you know, this over-reliance on technology or this assumption that, you know, something that can track something to do with your lifting is therefore automatically better uh, is, can be unfounded. The, the thing that um, gets me the most is, you know, going through Instagram stories and seeing people, um, using whatever app it is to track their bar path and having the little line drawer up and down. Like that's, that's all well and good. Yeah, sure. Look at your bar path. I mean, like you don't, if you've got two eyes in your face, you probably don't need a little line to tell you that your bar path is shit or good. Like just fucking look at it. Um, but my favorites when they track bar path from a video, that's like on a 45 degree <laughs> angle. <laughs> but that, my, my question is like, with uh, what, again, like what do you do with that data and what do you do with that information? And I always think about it from a coaching standpoint. Like, let's say I'm coaching you online. You send me one of those videos with the bar path tracker. I can't say to you, great work on your squats, John. What I want you to work on this week is correcting that bar path because the, the bar path is a direct byproduct of yeah. everything else that we're trying to achieve in that lift. Right. Yes. exactly. And, and so that's what I mean when I, I made my statement at the start is that like, I, I prefer to look at it, at it from the other direction. I do feel, i still do feel you can utilize these, um, these technologies in your lifting with a great deal of success. I think they can help in a, in a, a number of ways. Uh, I think more data is always a good thing. Uh, so long as you are doing the, the right thing with that data. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I much prefer to look at it as like, is this trackable? Is this measurement? Is this measurable? Uh, a direct implication on what we're doing or is it a byproduct of all the other things that we need to do? Is your heart rate improving? Uh, we can play around with fitness, you know? Yeah. Is, your, is your sleep shit? We can play around with that. We don't need to rely on numbers necessarily. We can have yeah. the conversation. We can uh, be a little bit more subjective about it, be a little bit more thoughtful about it without just blindly relying on technology. Yeah. The bar path one's interesting. Cause I, I've been doing most of my like online coaching video feedback stuff, uh, as like screen recording. So mm -hmm. I, I do a one person zoom meeting and share the video and I just talk through it. Cause I found that to be really effective in both saving me time because it's, I spend less time getting my thoughts into text, but it's also generally more clear for most people because mm -hmm. they like, there's just less translation factors in terms of me translating it into text and then them translating my text into action. Yes. Um, I will often like trace a bar path and like, I'm not using an app. I just fucking get my mouse and follow the bar. Yeah, yeah. And what I do is like, okay, watch this bar path. Now see how it does this. Now let's look at this body segment and show yes. you why it does that. Right. Exactly. Like this is the end result of the fact you fucked this bit up. Yep. Uh, because then you can start instead of it being like, Hey, just look at this body segment. Let's talk about that. You can say, here's the outcome. Yep. Here's the difference. And it's really especially powerful if you've got like two reps that look a little bit different yep, and you sure. can show them a bar path and go, okay, see this one now compare it to this one. Now let's look at your body segments and how they were moving and the cohesiveness with which they moved and you know, your ability to maintain position, all of those sort of things and see why you got that result. Uh -huh. Um, and that's, yeah, like you said, I think where it becomes a really powerful For thing, sure. 
but just being like, yeah, check out my bar path. It's so straight. I don't know. Is that actually useful? Like, did you get anything out of that? Probably not. I'll tell you guys the best example of this as well. Like one of the most, uh, I know I shouldn't say it's one of the most debated things, but one thing that people feel very strongly and coach very strongly is bar paths on bench press. Should it be straight up? Should it be a a diagonal line back? Should it be like this J path? I'm a fan of the Z path. (laughs) Horizontal. (laughs) Zigzag. I like to draw draw a giant dick with my bar path. Um, the, The, Coaching bar path on bench press will uh, will disintegrate the integrity of the movement. Like you you telling someone to push the bar in a certain direction is probably going to make their body change to yes. uh, assume that bar path rather than letting the bar path again be a byproduct of how someone moves. And it's such a like uh, it's such a reverse way of coaching. It's just like oh look at this person bench when they bench their bar path does this we want you to do that. And they, they look at that as the measurable, as the, uh, as the uh, variable that can be played around with. Well, your bench will look better if the bar path is like that. Yeah, well, but that's not a result of thinking about the bar path. Yeah, exactly. And man, we've talked about that from, from a queuing standpoint as well. And I think mm. it's just an example of what goes wrong when you queue further away from the action that you're actually looking for. Like the bar path is just the furthest point away from the action that you're looking at, right? Like the bar path in a bench press is the result of the mechanics at the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so if you're queuing bar path out at the hand, then you're getting all of these downstream effects that actually are nowhere near what you're looking for, which is a better mechanical position at the shoulder. hundred percent. And I think with all of those sort of things, uh, the closer you can get to talking about and describing and, and cueing the actions and the results you want. It's the same with sleep. It's the same with heart rate. It's all those things like you're, you're trying to put people in a position to, uh, instill the habits that they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. And if you can have a tool that helps you do that, great. But when the the tool becomes the habit as opposed to the tools feeding the habit, then I think you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I think that that hits the nail on the head of, of what we're both trying to get across, you know, from our different perspectives and experiences with this stuff is that, yeah, this stuff is fucking useful. It's fucking awesome. And it's cool. I just like toys. Like I'm a fucking 32 year old child yeah, that yeah, likes yeah. new toys and fun things and, and new ways of thinking about things. You're a bit of a data guy. You like collecting all this, uh, you like collecting all this data. The difference yeah. is you, you don't get emotionally uh, impeded by your attachment to that data. And that, that's yeah. the take home message from all of this. There's nothing wrong with data. Like I just said before, more data is good. Just mm-hmm. know what to do with it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, don't don't become a slave to the numbers. That's that's the big take home from this. For sure. I think that's a great place to end things. Have we spoken long enough? How long? It was like thirty five minutes. Let's see. Yeah. Didn't you have other? I mean, if you had other things you want to talk about, sure. Let's talk about other things. Uh, The other things that I've got to talk about are just like completely different to what we just spoke about. That's the only thing. Okay, well then let's call that the end of this episode. Tune in next week for a series of random thoughts from Thomas's head. Well, maybe not. We need to think of something for for the 100th episode. If you have any ideas and you listen to this, tell us, but it's probably too late because we'll probably, you know, be in the process of recording. (laughs) But um, I think we'll probably end up doing some sort of Q&A. Yeah, cool. Maybe we should do a live thing again. 
Or we can just do, you know, on sitcoms where they'll just have like an episode randomly where they've run out of ideas and it's just like a flashback of all the other episodes. Yeah, cutaways. Yeah. We'll, just, we'll just do that. We'll yeah. get Sam, we'll punish Sam and make yeah, him go but, through a hundred okay, episodes. Go through a hundred episodes and find all the times John said fuck. <laughs> we'll just well, have a 45 minute. Esoteric. Yeah. We'll have a 45 minute conversation about the word fuck. Uh, we'll work something out and when I say we'll work something out we'll think of it five we'll plan it four four and a half seconds before we hit record good excellent good to know that a hundred episodes have resulted in consistency at the very least in our approach (laughs) see you all next time goodbye